Hey, y'all, it's Orlando. We just want to let you know that the views and opinions expressed during this podcast episode are those of the co-hosts and guests and not their sponsoring institutions. Now, let's start the show. Hello, Detroit in the world. Welcome to another episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the WDET studios, Detroit's NPR station. And we are a content partner to BridgeDetroit.com. I'm Orlando Bailey. And I'm Donna Givens-Davidson. Thank you for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people on the east side of Detroit. We want you to like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on all platforms. We are finally back from our hiatus. It's been a long one, and we hope you miss Authentically Detroit as much as we did. Did you miss us? This week, we're going to catch up on what's been on everyone's mind. That is DTE. Uh, And we also invited a very special guest to speak with us about the return to Ghana and its legacy at Forgotten Harvest. That's right. Kirk Mays, CEO of Forgotten Harvest. Welcome back to Authentically Detroit. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Donna, good seeing you. Orlando. As always, I'm finally happy. I'm finally glad to see that Kirk and Donna are in the same room because Kirk has been on the podcast twice and Donna, something has come up every single time. So Uh, it's one of those weird things. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Brandon Snyder. Every time Brandon Snyder would come on, I would have to be absent or something. I'm like, Brandon don't really mess with me, I guess. I didn't think Brandon liked me. I think it's Kirk and Jamon Jordan. I don't know. We have bad juju or something. (laughs) But listen, it's been I was just thinking about this when Kirk sat down. 10 years since he and I met. Yeah. 10 years when he was on the board of the Brightmore Community Center. And I had another name. I've been two names later. (laughs) I was uh, working at the Brightmore Community Center and he actually was the person who helped to facilitate my hire at the Brightmore Community Center. Get out. At the Brightmore Alliance. And so, yeah, we never knew. We had conversations about our vision for changing the world back then. And um, we went in separate separate directions. I don't think either of us knew where we would end up today. Mm. But, you know, we're still connected, and that's a great feeling. Yeah. Take me back to 2012, Donna Givens <laughs> and Kirk Mays. What was y'all talking about in 2012? Changing things at the same time, yeah. in the same space. And I think ultimately, you know, the, the I think ultimately the decision uh, for Donna, which was a good one, was, yo, Brightmore is too bit, too little for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> we need, I need I need somewhere where I could do something like what you talk about in my own space and the east side is my home this is where I come from uh, and they got a job over here and they asked me if I wanted it I'm taking it well you All know right, go. it really was too small for both of us yeah. because it's like you have two visionaries Man. next door to each other it's like Sheesh. how much vision can I stand but I think that we still help to contribute to each other's of vision course. I'd like to of believe of and, um, and I left and I went to youth Development Commission. I found my way back to the east side of Detroit at East Side Community Network, and it's been a great move. And a lot of the things I'm doing now are conversations that we had in 2012. Yeah. And so it's great to know that there's people who inspire you, who touch your life, and you remain touched. Right. So. I mean, you think about it too, though. I mean, uh, Donna is rightfully so um, carrying on the legacy that Maggie started, that so many leaders 
in the city have been a part of with Warren Connor. Warren Connor um, University, baby. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of people have gone into leadership, you know, out of that shining example of what we could be doing together as a community. So, you know, it was like when Donna said, you know, I could go over there and like carry on that legacy. It was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's one of those big, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, roles for the culture. Mm-hmm. And that's a for the Detroit culture. You know what I'm saying? So that's it's a it's, it's nothing to be taken lightly. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Congratulations. And you know, it was my second time there. Right, I know. So, I know you started yeah. there, and then you went to, to yeah. uh, Youth Development Commission, and then no, I went. I went a whole lot of places. Right. You know, uh, and I look at Vanguard. it like this: I went to no, I went to um, Boys and Girls Club, Big Brothers, Big, Big Brothers, Sisters. Big Sisters. Right. My right. Where did I work? Did I went to go? Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and then I was called to Vanguard, and I did that for seven uh, years, uh, and yeah. then you know I did a lot of things, but I looked at it for you know every, each. Each place you go, you get learn something, you gain something, you hope to take it to the next place. And we're yeah. going to be talking to you about your places because you started off really doing some grassroots mm-hmm. farming work, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Village gardeners. Village was, gardeners. It was more of a metaphor for, oh, okay. you know, organizing our community or, like a garden of, right. you know, fruits and vegetables right. or whatever. Well, so you started off with the metaphorical food yeah. and ended up with food. <laughs> and now you're doing now, yeah. now you're on your way oh, to really do something else which is big. Yeah. And I think it's something that has got people talking, really excited at this point in our, you know, um, space in this United States where we're trying to figure out, you know, where do I fit? Right. Looking at ourselves beyond our citizenship here as world citizens and yeah. really looking at ourselves as connected to our brothers and sisters globally is something that's a beautiful thing. Can't wait to have that conversation. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait either. But it's time for Hot Takes where we run down some of the week's top headlines in the city of Detroit. For Hot Takes, Detroiters object to DTE rate increase as many real from power outages. This is by BridgeDetroit.com. My colleague Nusrat Rahman wrote this story. Dinah, what say you? Well, you know, um, it took several days for people to get their power back on. And we keep hearing it's the trees. And they say, well, we are, you know, removing these dead trees as fast as we can. But I think that as you look at the data, that doesn't hold up. The reality mm-hmm. is our grids are old and need to be reinvested in. And the grids are oldest where the people are blackest. And so now you're talking about power equity and power justice. Um, you know, I was in uh, an international forum and I was talking to some folks from um, Ghana and Namibia. I always struggle with that word this summer when I was in Sweden. And they talked about electrical outages and unreliable electricity. And I said, say less. Mm-hmm. You know, they said this is something we're dealing with. So we are dealing with it across the metro area. But I can tell you that experience shows that there's more reinvestment and upgrading of the grid in places that are richer, wealthier and whiter. And Jackson Copel did an excellent job in laying out the case for um, some justice in that area. So when you see it happening, it's uh, problematic and it's especially concerning because this is happening in the summer when the days are hot. And people, a lot of people are already living in homes that don't have adequate resources. They don't have necessarily transportation. And so I I get concerned about it. Yeah. So the rate increase is at 8.8 percent and it's supposed to generate an extra three hundred and eighty eight million dollars in additional revenue that would amount to about ten dollars more per month for residential customers. It's 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 really um, 
it's really interesting because literally maybe a week before we had that crazy storm in the city of Detroit that knocked out all of the power, 200 some odd residents packed out a Michigan Public Service uh, Commission public hearing um, because DTE has to take their rate uh, request increase to the Michigan Public Service Commission. And it's really interesting because they've done this time and time again. And it, there's never really been a lot of public scrutiny on the Public uh, Service Commission. But this time, folks came out in droves, including sitting city council members, to uh, dissent to the rate increase. What I would have you know is that every time DTE has gone to the Public Service Commission for a rate increase, they've granted it. And so a decision has not come yet. Uh, what are y'all thinking? Well, I want to say hats off again to Jackson Copel because he really did do a lot of organizing on the ground. He met with a lot of folks. I'm not sure, saying he's the only person, but he's the person who organized us, um, those members of Detroit 21 who were interested in learning more about the issue. Um, also, Joel Halrani Harris, um, in, in one of his last days in office, he brought members of the commission to my office. Mm. And I was able to lay out to them some of the issues that um, that. Jackson had laid out to me some of they said some of them said I've never really heard this before um soon after that I think as, after the tour that Joel took them on mm-hmm. um right before he left the city he um they decided they were going to grant a hearing and hearings like this are unusual for the Michigan Public Service Commission so um I think that we see a lot of grassroots leadership I think that we saw some really strong leadership for our director of sustainability I'm glad to see you know. Do you think DTE can make the upgrades that you you said are necessary with the current rate structure? Right now, Detroiters are paying, I think, uh, 18% per kilowatt. That's higher than a national average at around 15 I mean, it's not a nonprofit. <laughs> they have shareholders and they distribute funds to shareholders every year. So yeah. this idea that we need to increase these rates, we're really increasing the rates to preserve profits and to preserve a bottom line, mm. not to break even. That's mm. one of the problems when you have privatized electrical service is that mm. profit is always going to be king, and profit is never going to place public service over the needs of um, you know the, the shareholders. Yeah. When you talk, start talking about a financialized economy, this is what you're looking mm. at. We'll talk about I that more next week. I can't wait to talk week, about uh, financialization, yeah. yeah. Kirk, you have anything to add to this before we move on to the next story? Mm. You should probably move on. It's infuriating for me. Yeah. Um, as a as a person who lives in the in the mindset of a leader, um, and a leader of our people, these these same people who are suffering from this, these are the people that I have to focus on in order to solve the problems that I'm responsible to solve. Mm-hmm. And it feels like somewhere, somewhere, somewhere else, someone who has one of those very um, unique roles of leadership to be able to actually affect people's lives in a way that they can't affect it. They're not doing the right things. And it's not even about how you're doing it. I mean, again, as a leader, I look at things from my lens and I and I think of my decision-making as a big part of my responsibility. And in my need to make sure I do right by people, I need to be paying attention to the stuff that's coming. Yeah. And if I'm not making decisions to protect people, because I've got a a hand on the switch that nobody else does. If I'm not making the decisions to protect people from what's coming, it's bad leadership. And when I hear you talking about this, it makes me don't think, it doesn't make me think about DTE. It makes me think about the announcement I just saw the governor of Mississippi make in front of the whole state of Mississippi that said that Jackson, Mississippi's 
water treatment system has completely failed. They knew that there was no redundancies. They knew a day was going to come when it was going to completely failed. And he was literally on a mic in front of the TV telling everybody that that day has come. And as a result of that, there's no running water. There's, there's yeah. no, you can't use, you can't flush the toilet. You can't shower. You can't shower. You yeah. can't do anything. So that means that businesses have to shut down. This means that residential um, people in residence don't have a viable place. So for me, it's like one. We need to send some buses from Detroit down to Mississippi because then people need somewhere to go. Yeah, and we need and really for real, like on humanitarian process, like mm -hmm. we actually need to go get some about fifty thousand new populists of 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 Detroit from from Mississippi <laughs> right now on some leadership level stuff. Mm -hmm. And two, when you allow such a like complete failure of the municipal services that is under some of those people control, that's mm -hmm. a that's a complete and utter lack of, that's a failure of leadership. I mean, it's you know, unconscionable. And, you know, to think about, you know, all of these, you know, failures and crumbling infrastructure that is happening in and throughout the United States, it's almost always exacerbated in communities of color. So listen, so though, this, 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 this is what I gotta say though. You got, Flooding in Pakistan is not going to actually go away because there's monsoons, but there's also like water runoff from glaciers, mountain runoff from that. Mm -hmm. So that some of that's not going to stabilize. You got a heat wave in China that's been lasting for 70 plus days and it's being characterized as the worst heat wave in recorded history of the world, period. You got the Colorado River that's, that's, that's basically drying up. You have a heat wave in all of Europe right now. You have a drought and a heat wave in uh, California Cali. right now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Climate migration. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. All of the changes in the quality of life that we're going to see just from the climate change due to heat and all that kind of stuff is going to be one aspect of what's going to change the way that we have to live in this world. But as the land begins to rescind because of flooding and different kinds of terraforming of the planet, that's going to be the other thing. You know what's going to actually probably take more people? Inadequate infrastructure. Yeah. Mm. The actual built environment that we're living in is not actually set for what's coming. And we all know what's coming right now. So anybody who's in the position to make some decisions right now and then for whatever reason they're not making those decisions and it's putting potentially people's lives in danger mm -hmm. that pisses me off right. so that that's what that's what i hear when you say that because i do believe that there's a greater conversation in dte while there's cop there's there's culpability at dte amongst the leadership because there's power there and there's people there that can actually make moves and decisions because they have resources and, and everything that goes with that. We're, what we really need right now is for all the roads and all the, the ground to be opened up so new water can be put in, um, water pipes can be put in, new types of electrical lines can be put in. We can start looking at new ways of actually, you know, running our power to places before, even last mile. I mean, shoot, we can open up the ground and have a different last mile conversation mm -hmm. about stuff, right? So. I think, you know, us not thinking about the future as a right now priority from a leadership perspective mm -hmm. is a grave mistake for the entire population. And we're just not having the conversations we need to be having. And, and that's the reason. Um, real quickly, I just want to say before we go to a break, I just want to point out that, you know, people act as though um, the climate and the environment are not black people's bread and butter issues. <laughs> Nobody will be oh. impacted more than us. Right. 
And yet when we have politicians fighting for that, they say, well, we need to look at jobs. We look at wealth building and capitalism as though capitalism is going to save you from flooding or, you know, electrical outages. So I think it's time for us to engage residents in Detroit and other places in this fight. Yeah. All right. If you have stories for hot takes, hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Kirk Mays of Forgotten Harvest. Bridge Detroit is your news and engagement platform that is telling the stories of Detroit is rooted by community priorities. Started in 2020 by Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Stephen Henderson, the newsroom has already established its footing as the go-to source for hyper-local perspectives that asks the hard questions, brings accountability, and searches out real solutions. It's free to become a member of this award-winning news organization. Visit BridgeDetroit.com today to sign up to receive the news delivered right to your inbox. Bridge Detroit. By Detroiters, for Detroiters. Founded in 2021, the Stoudemire is a membership-based community recreation and wellness center centrally located on the east side of Detroit. Membership in the Stoudemire is available on a sliding scale for up to $20 per year or 20 hours of volunteer time. The Stoudemire offers art, dance, and fitness classes, community meetings and events, resource fairs, pop-up events, the neighborhood tech hub, and more. Members who are residents of the east side have access to exclusive services in the wellness network. Join today and live well Play well, be well. Visit ecn-detroit.org. Welcome back to Authentically Detroit. We are in the studio with none other than Kirk Mays, the CEO of Forgotten Harvest, at least until December 2022. He's the CEO of Forgotten Harvest. We are here to talk to him about, number one, this announcement that made uh, airwaves and newspapers and websites and television uh, last week about your departure at the end of 2022 of Forgotten Harvest. And everybody's wondering... Uh, everybody's waiting with bated breath to figure out what is Kirk Mays going to do next? Well, you know, first he showed up on Facebook with a shirt that said Ghana versus everybody. So he had some teasers out there, didn't he? He was like, what's going on with Kirk? He said, I have an announcement. I think he was like preparing us. (laughs) You know, that was totally a coincidence. It was just a day (laughs) that I I was having a meeting with a brother from Africa and we talking about some stuff for the future. And I got that I got that shirt from Sean Williams from Detroit vs. Everybody. It was a special run that he did for a group that he's working with in Ghana. And he's got some other stuff he's doing in Liberia. And we had an f- amazing conversation. And he blessed me with that shirt. So with that exclusive shirt, and I was going to see my brother from Nigeria, I was like, you know what, let me put this on. It was a beautiful day. I did the, the whole selfie, and then the cars came in. I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have did that. Nate, you know, people Nate are paying me. attention to you. I know, yeah, right? Nate yeah. called me. He was like, so what, we talking? What we right. doing? What man? are we doing? <laughs> I was like, no, man. It was just a post. <laughs> it's just a post. So, so that means that that doesn't mean anything, and you are not considering um, relocating or traveling overseas? Oh, yeah, I'm going to be traveling for sure. Okay. And, I'm, I, and I haven't, you know, you know, full transparency. I am very excited about getting a chance to go to the continent um get reacquainted get familiarized what's going on i've been one time but it was it was northern africa i've been to morocco i've been to tangiers it was on my german marshall fund 
Mm-hmm. Um, kind of it was so if you know the the Marshall Memorial My MMF brother yeah experiences are um, highly controlled and yes. uh, very directed so you know you get to, you get a lot of stuff when you go in those trips but you don't get a chance to do as much of your own thing and Northern Africa is definitely not Sub-Saharan Africa. So um, I'm interested in going to black Africa and understanding the tribal connections and all that kind of stuff. So I've done my uh, ancestry DNA. I've done my African ancestry. I'm wait- waiting for Where my tribal. From? I'm from a lot of places. I mean, according to ancestry, I'm every man. So <laughs> I'm, I'm 11% Asian, 19% Caucasian, and 78% African. Where in Africa? Uh, Nigeria is like 43%. Um, it was like 5 or 6%. Um, Ghana, some Benin and Togo, Cameroon, Mali. It's a number of different places. So the African ancestry gets you more of a, uh, a tribal connection, mm. specifically to like what tribal group you come from. And it's based on paternal and maternal or di- maternal or maternal, maternal or paternal lineage. So I did a paternal lineage search and next I'll do mm. the maternal lineage search. That's awesome. Yeah. So having that particular um, information to know, you know, if there's a connection there, but uh, or where the connection is, but my family is Jamaican. I grew up in the Jamaican culture here in my home life and then going back to Jamaica my entire life and my whole in my whole research on um, you know, the continent has really kind of led me to Ghana and Ghana being someplace that really seems from what I can see right now as the origination place for the Jamaicans. Mm-hmm. So the the food culture, the language, um, our customs, you know, they got something in, in Ghana called Trotro, which is their bus. You know, that's, that's our mini bus. Um, the drivers, we got the drivers there. So I, I'm expecting to go and really have to like deal with maybe a language difference um, from from the native language, but it's an English speaking culture That's country. What I yeah. So I, you know, but when I go to Jamaica, for instance, I don't speak English. I mean, J- Patois is not another language, mm-hmm. but I don't speak like this when I as soon as I get off the plane. How do you speak? I speak like somebody from there. Uh, I want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> at some point, we could do that. Okay, at some point, at some point, at some point, some point we could do that. But that, that, this, that's authentically another side of me that most people um, don't get exposed to. Some friends have gone oh. to Jamaica, and then when they got there, they're like, who is that? Um, so there's a whole other side of me that I've had where, in my life. Where you know, in Jamaica? My mother's from a, a place called Brownstone, which is in St. Anne, the parish of St. Anne. This is the same parish that Marcus Garvey is from, mm. that Bob Marley is from, a lot of our heroes. And my dad is from a place called Islington in the uh, uh, parish of St. Mary's. Uh, so that's the same uh, town where, that's the same parish where uh, Ocherius is and um, Golden Eye. So the the uh, resort or the, the, the location that, um, uh, the guy who made James Bond movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. he did all his no. James Bond. To the movies. Googles, keep going. You yeah. know what? All his James Bond movies on that side of the island. So I was really, really fascinated with Jamaican culture mm-hmm. when I visited um, Kingston, and I ended up going to the the um, ruins mm-hmm. and visiting the ruins, yeah. and did a little research. I learned a little bit about Queen Nanny. 
Yeah. And um, she's amazing. Yeah, Queen like, Nanny's whoa, a whoa, whoa, whoa. straight up hero. Yeah. yeah. Talk about her. So Queen Nanny's story, um, if I if I can remember accurately, Queen Nanny was actually uh, a maroon, oh, well, not maroon, an African queen. And as the um, uh, brothers or sisters or whoever were getting actually captured and actually put onto the boat, she snuck onto the boat, onto the slave ship with the captured people and actually brought herself over to Jamaica as a um, volunteer captured person. And when she got there, she was able to get away. And she was kind of like Jamaica's uh, Harriet Tubman. Yeah. So she, when she got away, she went into the mountains and she was able to then go and liberate a group of men from her tribe that then went into the mountains and they ultimately led the rebellion that liberated the J- Jamaica from slavery. Yeah. You know, because because what they were able to do That's was they were able to actually find battle positions that was more advantageous to their ability to live off the land, um, live in rough conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, they had higher ground at their advantage. And it, it got to a point that they beat so many of the actual formal army armies. I think they beat the Spanish, they beat the British to the point that they actually um, gave up and then they gave them, um, that's when they started writing the treaties to give Jamaica its freedom. So Nanny of uh, the Maroons was the, you know, She's she's our hero. She's one of the heroes that helped make sure that Jamaica was liberated. Isn't she on like some currency? Yeah, she's on she's on the money. Yeah, so yeah, she's on. Uh, that's amazing. She's on like the I don't remember what which one, but there's a number of the, the you know black heroes on the money. So one of the things that I also recall is that I think it was Ghana that she was from. Was she from Ghana? She was from Ghana. I, I believe and, so because most of us, yeah, most of us from Ghana, was, yeah, right? So that that what they were saying is the terrain in Ghana was similar to the terrain in um, Jamaica, and That's that was exactly one right. of the benefits that they had over the soldiers because they were from a similar terrain. That's right. That's right. So mm. the so you get into like specifics, and and I don't want to mess up the stories, but from what I understand, the people who came to Jamaica through through the slave ships, met the Arawak who were there already, mm-hmm. right? And the colonizers pretty much worked to wipe the Arawak out in order to make place for their colony. So as the, the, the Ghanaians who came from, you know, through slavery there, this uh, name, uh, well, the Spanish would say Yamaka, right? And it's a place with many rivers. But the Ghanaian interpretation um, was a different, same words. And it was something like Jamaica or something. I don't remember the exact way that they said it. You can look it up. But it's the same words, and it could have been interpreted the same way the Spanish heard it. In their words, it meant the land of many rivers. But um, for the Ghanaian interpretation, it was like um, we found our new home. Mm. because it was so lush, it was so beautiful, it was so much like um, the original place, there was this acceptance by the Jamaicans that we can stay here. Yeah, And so a lot of the language and the religion and the culture is just preserved there, much more so than many other places in the diaspora. There's definitely a lot of words and phrases that when you understand what that word or phrase means in Ghanaian, it's like, oh, that's the same thing we say in Jamaica. or We say the same thing in a different way. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's the reason why, that's the primary reason why I'm like, okay, Ghana is the place that I need to go back to. That's the place I want to go to because my cultural, like I've grown up in the Jamaican culture. So I did, so my cultural connection to the diaspora mm-hmm. is through African-American and Jamaican culture. So if I'm going to go there, I'm going to start in Ghana. So you can be like the king of the diaspora. Like Let's say Orlando is the czar of the east side. Excuse oh. me. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll and get to that got later. all those connections. <laughs> we'll get to that later. But Kirk, I'm really interested to hear from you. Um, what are you hoping to to learn about yourself on this pilgrimage? Um, I want to I want to continue to realize my full uh, greatness and purpose in this life. You know, I don't feel like I've actually um, realized my full potential yet, and I do believe that um, by going there and searching out some of the things that I feel like I have inside of me to pursue in life. I think that new space, the new context, will give me a renewed sense of kind of uh, vision uh, to be productive in a different way. Yeah. So I do believe I have the opportunity. I, I do believe I have the capability to be a successful entrepreneur. And people say to me all the time, "You can, you, you must feel like amazing because you can just do about anything." And I don't know if people think in their head when they're saying that, but when you say that to me, that's a lot of stuff. I'm thinking about the entire whole globe. Yeah. Right. So if if I can create a if I'm going to make the assumption from the get up, like I was straight out of college with no money, with no knowledge of how to do anything in a nonprofit space and I had enough confidence that like if I, anything I pick, I'm going to be successful. So either I'm going to go and spend the next X amount of years giving my talents and abilities to somebody's corporation and get what I get from that, or I'm going to take my talents and abilities and give it to my community. As, I need, as naive as I was and as much pain, struggle, and hardship and experience and love and life and fruit came from that journey, it was the beginning of it knowing that whatever I committed to, I was going to be able to actually you know, be successful at it. I still got that confidence and fire in myself. So I feel like if I'm going to be successful as an entrepreneur, where am I going to build economies? Where am I going to build up people? Hmm. Where am I going to create jobs? Where am I going to add to a more competitive environment for the global conversation we're having about everything? Right. And I'd rather do it on the continent or in Jamaica than here because y'all over here and y'all got it. Right. You know what? I, let me qualify my earlier comment, though. Nobody champions the East Side of Detroit more than Orlando Bailey. Oh, for sure. He is an absolute champion. He <laughs> brings sure. people together. He is a person who really fights for his people, right? Yeah. And in 2022, the whole construct of diaspora has gotten lost in so many conversations. In America, we have Ados, and in so many people in African nations, diaspora is people who came from our nation 20 years ago and left. And can we get them back? But you're going back to a term back when there was this pan-Africanism yeah. um, movement, really, that a lot of people were joining and saying, wait a minute, let me look at my life and my growth through a pan-African perspective. And I really think that championing that will lead a lot of other people to look it up and research it. I know when I heard through the grapevine and I saw the the, the T-shirt, I remembered a conversation I heard about Return to Ghana. Yeah. And so we're going to talk about this after our next break. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back. We got Kirk Mays in the studio, y'all. Stay tuned. 
this all right. And this. Have you always dreamed of being on the airwaves? Well, the Detroit Eastside Engage Podcast Network, or DEEP for short, is here to help make that dream a reality. Located inside the Sotomayor, the DEEP Network offers studio space and production staff to help get your podcast idea off the ground. Doesn't take a whole lot of work to get started. Just visit the Authentically Detroit page at ecn-detroit.org or call Sarah at 313-948-0344. Bridge Detroit is your news and engagement platform that is telling the stories of Detroit is rooted by community priorities. Started in 2020 by Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Stephen Henderson, the newsroom has already established its footing as the go-to source for hyper-local perspectives that asks the hard questions, brings accountability, and searches out real solutions. It's free to become a member of this award-winning news organization. Visit BridgeDetroit.com today to sign up to receive the news delivered right to your inbox. Bridge Detroit by Detroiters for Detroiters. And we are back with the CEO of Forgotten Harvest, Kirk Mays. And we were having a conversation before the break talking about the African diaspora. And Kirk, I mean, who's a better representation of the diaspora? I mean, Kirk is a Detroiter, born and raised, but like he's his family and lineage is from Jamaica. He's getting ready to go on the pilgrimage. And so we were getting ready to ask you the question. I think Donna was getting ready to ask the question, if I know my co-host. What does that what does the diaspora mean to you? Um, And, you know, conscious global citizenship. So first of all, let me plug myself for a second. There's a lot going on, a lot to actually track and follow, and there's a lot of moves that's going to be actually happening on this journey, right? My personal journey and the journey I'm going on, and I want to keep everybody up to date on everything that's happening. So anybody listening, please take the time to go to go to www.iamkirkmaze.com. Sign up. The sign up will allow for you to get the emails and the updates of everything that's going on. Author. Um, and, and entrepreneur it's, yeah and it's and, and it's, that's like where is the book yeah. <laughs> and that's what i'm like i oh, asked him that on tv i'm like yo where the book at bro so so, so that really that really is the front row seat um the stuff that what would that will be coming on social or whatever will mm-hmm. be kind of after they get announced there and i'll be sending out special emails and that kind of stuff um to people to let them know what's going on so your question and we'll put it in the description of the podcast too yeah your question what is the diaspora yeah so my strict uh, definition of diaspora has always been everybody that came from the continent that got blood from the continent in their system, right? Africans, people within the Af- from the African culture, you know, and and got a connection to um, the tribal and historical um, residents of the continent. I hesitate to even talk about the actual geographic lines that make up the countries because those were actually given to us um, by right. the colonists. And when they actually divided the, 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 the continent up, a lot of that stuff is legacy to that, right? So you still have tribes that exist on both sides of country lines yeah. that are contiguous tribes that live in two different countries, but they're one tribe. So we still have this confusion on the continent 
about who we are and what our affiliations are. Mm. But this diaspora conversation is about all of us being connected through the continent. Mm. I do think there's a way, there is a place where that conversation is being had formally through the African Union conversation. So there's a conversation, there's a, there's a structure that has been created and you know they're working through the actual formal uh, significance and roles and everything that goes with it of a, of a structure called African Union. That's wonderful. Just like similar to the concept of the European Union, big difference between the European Union and the African Union, I think on, on, from, the, from the onset, is, you know, I think uh, specific to what I just, you know, brought up. The, the, the European Union is a, is a membership-based kind of union, and everybody has their own country mm-hmm. affiliation, right? So Germany is a part of the African Union. France is a part of the African Union, and so, and so on and so forth. There's a war in Russia right now in Ukraine because there was threats that uh, Ukraine would uh, join NATO which would eventually, you know, actually line up all of the rest of this stuff, right? So um, the African Union, though, is a regional uh, land geographic mm-hmm. kind of destination, uh, designation. So Africa is bro- broken up into five regions, mm-hmm. and those five regions geographically represent the different decision-making kind of uh, – sectors or clumps or groups or whatever as they forget figure out how to formally institute this right they recently within the last couple years or even less than that um have erected a sixth a sixth sector for the african union which involves us Uh everybody who's not actually represented geographically on the continent is represented in the sixth sector of the mm. African Union, which that means that's black people everywhere black people that actually everywhere. has got the, the, you know, sent out through slavery. So when you think about black people and when you think about the diaspora, who's the diaspora to me? Mm-hmm. Everybody that just got on the plane and decided that they wanted to go and go to America or Europe or China from Africa and get a job or something, their diaspora. They're, 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 nobody is actually denying their diaspora. Matter of fact, people calling them Africans. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? But everybody who came to anywhere from slavery, so all the Brazilians, mm-hmm. 100 million of us, that's us. Yeah. They just speak Portuguese because that's the way that boat went. Mm. All of the 30 million of the Colombians, that's us. They speak Spanish because that's the way that boat went. Mm-hmm. All the Haitians, that's us. They only speak that language, French, Spanish, whatever they speak on Hispaniola, that island that's broken up in two. Mm-hmm. They speak what they speak because that boat went that way and so on and so on. And my family's from Jamaica. Right. Right. And you can literally use the information that the people who built and actually drove the boats to find out where we came from and how we connected. So everybody who was actually involved in any of that, anybody that traveled before Mm -hmm. or traveled after that, we're all connected to the original woman. The Lucy, the the whole world is connected to the original woman. But the, the, the genetic and cultural connections of people with high degrees of melanin, which we call black people right. from the continent of Africa, in my opinion, that's the diaspora. And I agree with you. I want to talk a little bit about ADOS, though, because yeah. the American Descendants of Slavery is this movement 
of people who feel as though all of the benefits of any kind of reparations or um, any um, recognition of harm should be exclusively shared with black people who were brought, who slave ships brought them here. Mm. And, you know, I think what people don't understand is I think about half a million people were brought here by slave ships from Africa. Okay. Many, many, many more people were taken to South and Central America yeah. than brought to these shores and to the islands. And yeah. some of the most brutal slavery was in places where there were sugar plantations, yeah. where the average life expectancy was seven years after being enslaved. So how dare we yeah. pretend as though chattel slavery here was the most harmful form of chattel slavery? We are our brothers and sisters this, across the globe. The, this largest population of peoples who were resettled because of American chattel slavery or Western chattel slavery. Right. The highest population right now is in Brazil. That's right. The second highest population is in Colombia. Wow. Wow. And see, that's, that's the part I didn't know. But I think it makes sense that we don't know because the media does not give us that understanding of our, and, you know, we, we, we're all kept se- separate. And I don't know all of this for sure, but I would, I would encourage anybody to go check for themselves. Colombia actually has policies in place to try to get us to come over there and invest. Well, you know, actually, understanding who we are to that, to, to, to that, to that, to the diaspora. In one of my classes, there was a Colombian student who talked about that. Yeah. Of course, there's still a lot of racial hierarchy. Because you know, she professor uh, Donna Gibbons Davidson <laughs> right. at Columbia. Right. Did you know that, Kurt? No, I didn't know. Yeah, that. yeah. yeah. Uh huh. So first class this semester is tomorrow uh, evening. Okay. Go ahead, professor. <laughs> Can I? Audit? But but you know, one of the things I'm looking at is the financialization and the concept that the way that you, you know, oppress people right now is largely not through labor, but through debt, debt service. Mm-hmm. So bonds, you know, all of the borrowing that you have to do just to maintain a city mm-hmm. places us in debt mm-hmm. to people in, in the United States. The bondholders are mostly suburban white people and corporations. Mm-hmm. And then the credit rating agencies are beholden to those people. Mm-hmm. And so you may vote for mayor, city council, whatever, but you're the, the mayor, city council, everybody's trying to make sure you have a good credit rating. Yeah. Because if you don't, the city can't afford to function. You go into junk bond status. And when I look at that and contrast that with the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund, mm-hmm. you can see that debt service is really what is part of what's controlling us all over. And what I was reading in the return to Ghana movement was the government at one point was saying, we want to get out of debt. And we Mm -hmm. believe that if we bring black Americans to Ghana, Mm -hmm. we can work collectively to function without debt. What do you Mm -hmm. think about that? I think it's all about uh, mindset and attitude. If we were sitting next to a billionaire, a billionaire could potentially explain to you how debt is an incredible asset that he wouldn't be able to actually get to where he is or she is right now without it. So I think it's about it's based on the mindset but I mean, of being consumers. You, but you mean I'm talking about municipal debt or governmental debt, okay, which you. is different than personal yeah, debt, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 so yeah. if the city of Detroit, remember when right, right, right. we okay. went bankrupt, so different conversation. I was thinking about individual debt. No, right? no, not, not individual debt. Yeah. yeah, I understand you want to spend other people's money, not your own money, if you can. I get yeah, that concept, yeah, but yeah. I'm just saying that the concept of us, our cities, being controlled by this fear of bad. Um, credit credit. (laughs) or bad you know i mean Mm -hmm. into the state of the city the mayor said we did all these things and our our, Our um, bond rating rating has gone up for six year in a row gotcha and that is what you're trying to get to and so your public policy is geared to get you out of uh see i see what you're saying so let me let me explain why i think that is the way that it is um 
sitting in the in the mayor's office just for a brief amount of time. You you, you that was real brief. It was brief, but you get but it was the beginning of the administration where everything is out, and we're trying to figure out what we're mm-hmm. going to do in order to actually address the public interest of what's the plan and like lay everything on the table so we can see what's what's even here, mm-hmm. right? So appreciating the fact that you do have bills to pay, you do have bills to pay. Getting to a place where you're like Jackson, Mississippi, and it's like, yeah, we can't flush the toilet is untenable. No, I get that. Yeah, yeah. So 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 when you think about reorganizing the way that we're our cash flow is set up so we can just take care of the things that we need to take care of, the truth is we don't have enough cash flow to take care of all the things on our over, on our big expense budget. So, for instance, if we walk up and down the street right now, neighborhood residential streets, mm-hmm. what you're going to find is there are plenty of street drains that aren't just covered with leaves. They're packed with leaves. Like, so if you don't actually go over to that street drain and like pull the leaves out yourself, I'm going to just tell you, it's not a major actual infrastructure problem that's happening. Um, that's flooding our streets when it rains. It's because we not, we don't, I, I believe we probably don't have enough money to actually have regular street sweepers. Well, that, that's, that's one of the issues. There's yeah. some other issues that are a little bit more complex than that. But you know, back in the 1940s, 1950s, when they were building cities yeah. and building highways and building infrastructure, Cities did not have to pay for all of this on their own. Mm. The federal government stepped in. Mm. And our tax rates, our federal tax rates help pay for that. Our state tax rates help pay for that. We've had shrinking government over the past 100 years, really. And in that time frame, as government shrinks, you're pushing more on the private citizen through their taxation to pay for things. And so it's that shifting of the burden. So I'm not saying the city does have enough revenue. I'd say the city is starved of revenue structurally yeah so but I, I i look at that though as a part of a underperforming business you know bangkok has eight million people you moving to bangkok no i'm not going to Bangkok. okay but but eight million people decided that they wanted to live in bangkok for some reason what's mm-hmm. the value proposition that bangkok is providing that actually allows them to not have these conversations mm. because they got enough people there New York has enough people there. Chicago has enough people there to pay past their problems. So the business of a city is figuring out what we need to do in order to actually make somebody choose to live here over another place. Well, I'll, I'll just and say that about, I came back from an international conference in Sweden, and one of the professors I was working with actually was a professor who studied Thailand yeah. and will tell you some interesting things about Thailand. What we found out is that this poor infrastructure for poor black and brown people all over the world. Sure. doesn't matter where you are. You are dealing with infrastructure problems. Yep. You're dealing with a lot of things. So I don't think Bangkok has solved it. I think that the reality is... That as long as you have that, that blackness and brownness creates this gap of wealth. I think my point is the same point. I don't think Bangkok is, is mm-hmm. solved. Actually, I think Bangkok is probably one of the more problematic places. Right. That's why I just said you right. moving to Bangkok. Right. But they got eight million people. They got as many people as New York. And I'm not saying they're doing that necessarily because they're successful. You look at how many people in Singapore. You look, you look at the places that people aspire to go to. Not even us. A college student. That's coming out of school and says, this is where I want to live next. What are the things that make that place a draw? I know when I got out of school, I was like, I want to go to Atlanta. And I never even been there. It took, <laughs> it took for me to, to go and visit Atlanta a couple times to be like, you know what? I kind of like this place. I like the culture. I like what it feels like. And Detroit is beginning to get some of that like feeling to it so that some people can feel like this, this is a place that I can, I can move to. 
But the truth, the truth of the matter is our business model is being supported by debt because we can't pay our bills with the actual frontline business, which is actually having enough well, citizens. Well, well, most most cities are supported by debt. But in the here's US, the thing though. that, you know, yeah. but to add some more layers to this, and I would love to hear. To but, grow. They're supported by debt to grow, not to maintain. Most of them are struggling, though. And especially when you talk about house homelessness, homelessness is just this exploding is what all over the world. Is, and homelessness, it's, but it's a consequence. Yeah, it's a problem everywhere. It's a consequence of how we spend our money. We spend our or money who we on, owe. Or, or who we owe. Or who we owe. That's the point that I wanted to yes. bring in and a layer that I wanted to add, this nuance, because the municipality is beholden to whomever is holding the debt. And consequently, uh, residents who need services, who need equitable services, are all too often the last to see or receive anything because we have to think about, number one, who we owe. We also have to think about political expediency. Let's not forsake that politics is also like in this game. In addition to financialization, what is going to draw me political wins so that I can t- so that I can continue to get reelected and I'm able to point to I did this, this, and this for this segment of people and who's being left out of the conversation and who's being resource deprived and you know all of those things. It's a nuanced conversation well and we but wait you know we really have to look at that because if we're going to deal with infrastructure issues we have to look at the fact that until the bond rating agencies want to see us investing in bridges and roads and water systems and electrical systems we won't we will continue doing those things that they think are going to make them money it's very short-term thinking so i'm not saying i'm against borrowing i think that we have a government that is so dependent on borrowing in places like Detroit, Jackson, any place black people live, Flint, Saginaw, every place that had an emergency manager, we are all dependent on borrowing. And until we get out of that debt crisis, whether you are in Detroit or you are in some city in some one of the African nations, a lot of times it's the debt that really buries people and makes them unable to move. And so I believe that when Duggan became mayor, he had very few moves he could make to make the city function. I mean, it was in emergency management getting it out, but I think that it's just this real reorientation. We'll be talking about that next week. But when I look at that and I compare it to what's happening to some of our African brothers and sisters, it's the same. Yeah. So, I mean, I think when you look at, you know, you look at rebuilding a place, capital is king. Um, And where that capital come from in order to do the development, in order to bring tax base back in so people can have living spaces that they actually want to live in, so they can have uh, the uh, restaurants and the social spaces that they can actually move around in. A lot of that stuff has to be done through business, through mm-hmm. the business world. Yep. Government needs to make it as easy as possible for businesses to come in and actually service the needs of, of communities. Above and beyond that, though, government has to actually take care of infrastructure. You can't you can't expect regular people to take care of infrastructure. I so, never had to. So if you if you if you provide your role in a layered cake very well, and you understand what all of your constituents and partners need in order to be successful, successful enough that you can stand out from the rest. I begin that I believe that's the beginning of a formula of starting to get people to say I'm choosing Detroit. But but as even as people say I'm choosing Detroit, we're still losing the people who can't afford to choose Detroit. Sure. Because Detroit has become unaffordable for many people and we're just shifting the burden. You know, you know the whole su- suburban America was built up on the government's dime. That's right. The government 
underwrote loans, gave people cheap capital, helped pay for the infrastructure to build roads and bridges and all of that through government grants. Yeah. And it wasn't a good business model. It was the government deciding this is something government should do. So in 2022, governments don't think they should house black people. But in t- 1952, they thought we should build and help subsidize housing for white people. And so government has shifting priorities depending on who they're supposed to be helping. So here's, here's, And it's us right now in cities and government is now facilitating the return of people who left through government subsidy to come back. And I'm not saying the government shouldn't do that or should do that. What I'm saying is that sustainability demands the government does something differently if we're going to make it out of this climate crisis. So so the truth of the matter is there's nowhere in Western society, at least, under capitalistic economies, right. that this doesn't exist. Right. In every situation of a developed place. You get homelessness, you get displaced people, you get rising costs that don't match the actual people that were there in the first place. It's all the same actual thing. And all the people are the same people. So we we keep on having the same conversation about how do we fix this? And it's never it's working. It's working exactly how it's supposed to work. The conversation we really need to have is what's a new way of doing this? The whole thing. Okay. I'm down for that conversation. So I'm I'm down for that conversation too because I'm in agreement with you. I am agreeing with you. Because capitalism ain't going to save us. Capitalism is the problem with capitalism and racism can coexist. Capital and racism go hand in hand. Inextricably connected. They are connected. And so when we look at different systems of relating to ourselves, our, our ancestors were not capitalists. Capitalists were the people who drove the slave ships and sold us into whatever. And so I think that we have ways of building business, but I think using different logics and different cultural values that bring us together and really build on the community are important. Yeah. So you are going to let us know on your website. I will be giving I will be giving consistent updates on the things that are coming my way in order to be able to make the moves I want to make with my life. I got a number of things I need to do in order to set up a vehicle and machine for me to be able to actually live as a global citizen going forward. So I have my, um, you know, track record and um, connections and experience here um, growing as a, a really a, a seasoned professional at this point in the nonprofit space. Um, I'm not really sure that um, going into um, another seat with a different mission is where I'm at right now. But okay. I, I do have a lot of uh, value I think I could bring to a number of different um, groups that are going through a lot of things that I've been through. Mm-hmm. So consulting is definitely going to be something that I'm going to be available for. I'm not going to take everybody, though. I'm just going to tell you right now. I will not work with anybody that comes my way. I'm not going to be, like, desperate to get work. Um, I've done a lot of good things in our community. Um, I do have a lot of um, experience that has worked consistently throughout throughout times and I move in a way that's um I mean specific to my energy right so if I'm I can't waste my time right now right mm-hmm. with the wrong with with the wrong energy so I will be taking on projects that you know align with what I'm looking for um in my next steps and also going to be writing so one part of this is a practitioner I'll actually be available to do some work, to continue to actually make some impact in our communities. Not only Detroit, but I'll be actually available nationally. And then 
Um, I'm going to do some writing to be able to put some thoughts and ideas about some specific things out there. Can't wait for that. Some of it bridging from what you you, you hear me talking about now. Some of it just more stuff that I you haven't heard me talk about. And, and maybe even a lot of things that relate to who we are as a diaspora and then our focus on the world and bigger picture things. And then, you know, when available, I'll be definitely looking for opportunities to go out and speak pe- speak to people and touch people. So there's those baseline things. Um, the humanitarian piece of it, any success that I have is always going to then fall into me trying to figure out how I can st- continue to serve and help people. So if I have if I have resources and somebody in my community needs something, then I'm going to there's no way that I'm not going to be, you know, be the same person that's going to try to do everything I can to help people with whatever way I can. Above and beyond that, there's going to be some um, special projects that I'm going to get into that actually um, dip into my creative side that nobody actually has that pretty recognizes or probably knows is there. And I'm, I'm a super huge nerd. So I got a lot of like techie things that I stay into all the time. And there'll be like a, like a, a project that I'm going to get out. That's going to be something that's more tech like, um, that, um, will let some let folks see some different versions of me, but there'll be a lot of things that'll be my American stuff. And then when I go over to, um, Africa, I'm looking for land. I'm looking for my, understand my citizenship. And then we gonna build enterprise businesses. Are you gonna um, help take people there? Yeah, I will. Lead people in the pool? There's a lot of number of people I've already met though, that kind of have that kind of thing set up. So I'm not gonna reinvent the wheel. Okay. I'm gonna try to help brothers or help sisters kind of like grow their thing. I'm very interested though in finding entrepreneurs on the cusp in Africa that just need the awareness need that, yeah. and the capital that. from people here that I can help with facilitating a trustable connection that I could be the liaison. Remember me when I was a liaison? I could be the liaison between <laughs> us here and folks there that need opportunities. And I'll set up a whole thing that it'd be transparent and all that kind of stuff so we can help get the capital over there to grow some businesses of people that are already doing great things over there. So I'm, I'm interested in doing a lot of things, but... A lot of the stuff that people know me for, just being an activator, a connector, somebody who wants to move things from one space to the next and bringing value to the situation, I'm still going to be serving a greater good, but I'm going to have a bottom line that actually needs to be filled or funded um, from a non from a for-profit point of view in order to create a sustainability for myself that makes me free. That makes sense. Yeah, because yeah, you know, I mean, nonprofits. Everybody thinks you can only do good through nonprofits, but no. nonprofits are, not, yeah. you know, always the only way to do good. And there's so many ways, and so many of our ancestors did great things without being in a nonprofit five hundred one c three space. And yeah. you know, making money sometimes you can hire people. I am interested in learning about those connections, and I'm hoping that your website will highlight some of those folks <laughs> so we can learn how to travel. Because listen, um, I've been looking at like ticket prices is like woo fifteen hundred dollars round trip. Yeah, you know, I mean. It's not mm-hmm. easy going. No, nah, but you know what? I've been talking about this for two years or something like that. I don't know how long it's been. I've been talking about it for a while. But the last year and a half, it's been like, yo, I'm going. Like, right. we doing this. Right. And I found myself on a plane to Hawaii as my first trip when COVID broke. And it was like, all right, we're going to get on the plane. We're going to go somewhere. And it was just me and a small group. And I was on the plane. And I was like, wait, y'all tricked me. We supposed to be going to Africa. This was eight. This is this is like six hours to Cali, five hours over the water. 
fifteen hundred dollars round trip. I could be in Africa right yeah. now. <laughs> Why, I mean, Hawaii was a was a lifelong like dream trip, but I got that dream trip thing like it it made me forget. Yeah, that my next destination was gonna be Africa. And I said that when I was in Spain. I said that when I was at uh, the wedding, that Nate's wedding in Spain. We were standing under an olive tree. It was after everything was done. Pretty much everybody was gone. We were there at the villa. It was just like me, Nate, Carissa, Tamika, and my wife. And 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 I was like, "Hey, I ain't going to no more Europe's. <laughs> going to Africa. I'm going to Africa next. I done been to enough places in Europe. I done been to Spain. I done been to Italy. I done been to Paris. I done been to Copenhagen. I done been to." You name it. I done, I done been to all these places. I done been to, you know, uh, uh, Berlin. Look, I need to go. I need to go to Africa now. Mm. And um, I'm determined. Next time I go on the plane and I need a head pillow for real, I'm getting off on the continent. Well, it's always <laughs> interesting uh, when we have Kirk Mays on. Kirk, thank you for saying yes and coming on Authentically Detroit. For sure. All the time. Listen, if you have topics that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at authenticallydetroit at gmail.com. I know there's so much more to come. So when stuff starts rolling out, you got to agree to come back. Yeah. And, and on the way, because emails will come out soon, www.com. I am Kirkmaze.com. That's right. Plug it, man. Sign sign up to make sure you stay uh plugged in and uh get updates. All right, sign right. for shout outs. We got about a minute left. Donnie, you have any shout outs? Shout out to Orlando Bailey for his birthday. Hey. Thank you. Hey. Eastside yeah, Side. Yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Ryan Patrick Cooper. I'm gonna get him. I'm gonna shout out Maggie DeSantis. Yeah, she um, yeah. we had a reunion this weekend. It was so much fun. I guess it was on Monday, but you know It was the weekend. It was, Labor, it was Sunday. Labor Day is the weekend. Oh, Sunday. Sunday. I don't know. Okay, I'm confused. It was Sunday. Anyway, shout out to Maggie for bringing us together um, and just looking at all the leadership around the table. Um, we still all like each other and get along and have a good time. We were on the fun. boat ride. It was fun. Yeah. Kirk, you have any shout outs? Everybody. All my people. <laughs> what up, though? What's happening? I miss y'all. I haven't seen you in a long time. Uh, I want to shout out the family. Um, mom, dad, my wife, Tamika. Kirk Jr., all my friends, um, LaShonda Allen, my publicist, who's kick butt, L-A-G-L-B, global.com is where y'all need to go. This sister is uh, amazing, working for stuff with GM and all that. Can I, can I, so y'all remember the uh, Verizon, can you hear me now? Yeah. That was her. Oh, wow. Yeah, she, oh, wow. That was her. We that, in the presence of a boss. Boss, boss, <laughs> boss, right? So she's been helping me with coming up with some of the strategy and, um, you know, getting that website up and all that kind of stuff. So got a lot of help, a lot of support, and I'm sure we're going to be good. All right. We want to thank you so much for listening, y'all. See you next time. Catch the wave.